Thank you, Kate. And just a point of personal privilege before we begin the sermon, I suspect you all know that Dean Moorhead is a gifted priest, and you probably know that she's a great thought leader throughout the Episcopal Church. I hope you also know how much she loves you, how much she loves the ministry of this cathedral, and how much she loves the city of Jacksonville, which you all are beginning to transform with your good work in the neighborhood. I hope you know how much she loves you. May I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, not so long ago, 2017, whoever it is that keeps track of these things announced the most popular baby names of the year. The headline read, Classic Names Keep the Top Spots. And the article announced that the most popular baby names of 2017 were Emma, Olivia, Ava, Sophia, and Isabella for girls, and for boys, Noah, Liam, William, Mason, and James. Well, when I read this news, my daughter Elizabeth was in her sixth month of pregnancy. So I called her, and I asked her, have you and Nick decided what you're going to name your baby boy? And when she answered me, to be honest with you, I thought she was joking. We've decided to name the baby Rocco. My answer, Rocco? Dad, R-O-C-C-O. Oh, Rocco. I thought you said Rocco. (laughs) I stuttered and I stammered. And finally I said something about it sounding like a fighter's name, like some kind of a tough guy. And I asked, "Why, why wouldn't you just choose a name from the Bible? Why can't you just choose a saint's name? And then, I'm embarrassed to tell you, I said something like, in my entire life, I have never met anyone named Rocco. Well, you won't be surprised. You won't be surprised that Elizabeth was upset with me. And somehow, because we love each other, we managed by the end of the phone call to find a graceful way to exit the whole matter. Well, after we did, I just sat there in my chair, dumbfounded, dismayed. In a few months' time, I would have a grandson who would forever and ever be called Rocco. Now, you can find this name. You can find this name on the recently released rankings of the top baby names. It's number 455. (laughs) Rocco is just one behind Yusuf and one ahead of Raphael. So it's probably not a great idea to begin telling a story, especially to a group of friendly strangers like y'all, by saying something like, normally I'm not a controlling person. (laughs) Because when you say something like that, it's obvious that you're about to tell a story that illustrates just how terribly controlling you can be. It's like when someone says, This is probably none of my business, but... Well, they should stop right there, right? They should stop right there because what they're about to say is definitely none of their business. Or when someone takes you aside and says, I sure hope you won't be offended. The minute they say it, you're pre-offended. So you're just going to have to trust me on this. I am not normally a controlling person. After my daughter told me that they planned to name their son, my grandson, 
Rocco, I started searching for alternatives. And I came up with what I really thought was a very clever plan. I would look up all the famous people born in the month of May, and I would assign a name to each date. And so that I would suggest to them that they name the baby for whoever this famous person was that matched up with the, birth, the famous birthday. So, for example, Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire was born on May the 10th. Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, March the 14th, celebrates his birthday every year with 700 million Facebook friends. And every year, every year on the 15th of May, tennis star Andy Murray has his big birthday party. So why not? Why not pick a person for each day and name the baby Fred or Mark or Andy, depending on the day the baby's born? It seemed like such a good idea to me. So I called my daughter. She found this idea not funny at all, not helpful at all. But before I shared it, I did say to her, this is probably none of my business. <laughs> and I hope you won't be offended. Now, desperate as I was, I considered offering to prepay four years of college. My wife convinced me that that wasn't a good idea, that I should let it go. And so I resigned myself. I resigned myself to the reality that this unborn baby, who I already loved so much, would have a name that would take some getting used to. Well, all of this happened three months before Elizabeth's due date. We never discussed it again. And then, on a Tuesday night in May, Elizabeth called. She called to say that the time was drawing near. And very, very early on Wednesday morning, my son-in-law, Nick, sent a text to let me know that they were at this sweet little hospital in the town where they lived in Maine. Elizabeth was in labor. Now, honestly, I was tempted to give it one more try, but I resisted. At 11.55 in the morning on that Wednesday, Rocco Adams Carter was born into the world, and I was so excited that I called the happy parents and I sang the doxology to them. And from noon on Wednesday, throughout the day on Thursday, dozens of photographs of this beautiful little baby arrived via text and email. My wife and I even FaceTimed with Rocco, and we bought our plane tickets to Maine so that we could meet Rocco in person the next week. Everything was going so beautifully. Mom and baby seemed to be thriving, and there was so much excitement and joy, and we were just filled, filled to the brim with complete and utter awe at this brand new human being, a bright light in our family. But that was before. That was before the telephone call, which came in the deep darkness of Thursday night. My cell phone was ringing. I saw that it was my son-in-law, Nick. I answered the phone. Hey, Papa, how's it going? We've got a problem, Jim. And there was just this long, painful pause as Nick tried to get the words out. Rocco's having trouble breathing. He stopped breathing twice, Jim. Oh gosh, Nick, what can I do? What can I do? You can pray, he said. Please, please pray for Rocco. Please pray for him. They took Rocco in an ambulance 
to the big medical center, to the neonatal intensive care unit. So here we were in Raleigh, North Carolina, 950 miles away from them, with tears rolling down our faces and not one ounce of control over anything, with one job to do, to pray for Rocco. Now the mental picture of our tiny seven-pound baby boy, two days old, so fresh, so fresh to the world, struggling for breath in the back of that damn ambulance. The thought of that was just almost more than I could bear. Without even thinking about it, I found myself praying that our Rocco would be everything that I first hated about his name. Help Rocco to be tough, Lord, I prayed. Help Rocco to be tough. Help him to make it through the night. Help him to be a fighter, Lord, to overcome whatever it is that's coming against him. Help him, Lord, the desperate, desperate prayers of a grandfather and a grandmother. In our lesson today from the Gospel of Mark, the disciples are marveling at the magnificence of the temple. Under construction for many, many years, it was completed in all its grandeur by none other than King Herod, with these massive blocks of marble and adorned with gold and silver and jewels. In first century Jerusalem, the temple was a sign of absolute power and wealth, of stability and constancy. And then, then the rebel Jesus comes to town and he says, oh, yeah, there won't be a stone left standing on stone. Everything about it will fall down. In the first century, the temple was a symbol of permanence. The temple was a symbol of entrenched power. And nobody, nobody could imagine the Jerusalem skyline without it. You see, it was their World Trade Center. And nobody thought it would ever come down. In the end, we know that Jesus was right and that some 35 years later, Herod's temple fell. But on the day that Jesus said it, nobody, nobody believed it. Now all of us here in this sanctuary now have lived long enough to learn the hard way that so-called permanent things, things we thought we could count on, sometimes turn out to be passing perishable things. We've had to say goodbye to people we loved and needed. And the changes and chances of life have brought some heavy, unexpected burdens for us to carry. And we know, we know what it feels like when the temple of our good health or the temple of our happy family come crashing down. We live in a world that is so amazing in its technology, where everyone's just a text message away, and yet... If the truth is told, we have never been so lonely. Never in the history of the human race have we been more disconnected, more separate. And though we rarely speak of it, it's exhausting to be on your own. It's exhausting to feel like you're always half-living and half-loving. It's exhausting to just feel like you're going through the motions. And in our bones, we know, we know that we were made for more more than that to-do list that waits us on Monday morning. We long to connect with God more deeply. We long to really feel something. We long to connect with one another in a deep and meaningful way. Now, we are different 
from each other in so many ways. But at the very deepest level, I believe that we all strive and hope, we all struggle and pray for the same things, for the same things. We all nurse old wounds that seem slow to heal. Every one of us longs for a sense of belonging, a sense of peace and purpose that can be so elusive. We all want to love and be loved. Well, no surprise, Mother Teresa said it best. Mother Teresa said it with the simplest of words. Soon we will learn, she said, soon we will learn that we belong to each other, that we belong to each other. And in a world where everything feels like a competition and half the time life feels like a forced march, this from Mother Teresa sounds to me like the wisdom of God. Someday, someday soon, we will learn we belong to each other. You may remember the big news story almost 20 years ago was a disaster that struck the Kew Creek mine in Pennsylvania. Nine coal miners were underground for four days, stranded, trapped, and they feared that nobody even knew they were trapped, nobody even knew they were missing, that they were truly lost, that nobody was looking for them. But they were mistaken, as the people above the ground were already beginning a high-tech operation to rescue the nine men. And in the end, all nine of those men came home. They were lost, and then they were found. And when those nine miners who were trapped underground for those days were rescued, they emerged with a story to tell. Not a story so much about their rescue as it was a story about their survival. For much of the time, they were in total darkness. They were wet, sometimes up to their necks in cold, rising, rancid water. They knew nothing of the massive emergency rescue deployment going on above them. On the third day, they organized themselves, and each man wrote a note on a scrap of cardboard, a note of farewell and love to their family. And these notes on these scraps of cardboard were put into a bucket that was sealed and then hoisted up on a piece of equipment to keep it safe, to be sure that these notes would get to their families at some future time. They had a long piece of rope, and what they did with it takes my breath away. They tied themselves together. These nine men tied themselves together so that no one would be lost or all of them would be lost together, and nobody's body would get lost in the miles and miles of tunnels. And they found a lunchbox. They found the lunchbox of Denny Hamill, one of their co-workers. It came, literally came floating by. Later on, they laughed about this. They opened the lunchbox, and inside, inside of that lunchbox, they found a corned beef sandwich wrapped very carefully in a can of Coca-Cola. They decided to share the sandwich. They decided to pass the can of Coca-Cola around. They shared the sandwich. They passed the Coca-Cola around in the water, in the dark. Nine large, hungry, desperate men bound to each other by a heavy rope. And they decided to share what they were given. They chose to eat and to share, and we cannot imagine. We cannot imagine what fear, what hope, what blessing each man brought 
to that unthinkable table. What would it be like? What would it be like to share a sandwich, to eat one-ninth of a sandwich? What would it be like to drink one-ninth of a can of Coke? Well, I say it would be like Holy Communion. It would be sweet, sweet communion. This world, this world loves you when you can produce, when you're good-looking, when you're smart, when you're fun, and especially when you have money to spend. But when the chips are down, I mean really down, God comes looking for you. This is our faith. This is our hope. When your back is against the wall, when life's demands are piling up, when relationships seem to be breaking down, God comes looking for you. This is the gospel truth. God's love is a kind of compassionate shepherd's love, a searching love that wants nothing but to find you in the darkness and to bring you home again. This is the great secret at the heart of the gospel, that God comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel is about God giving up power, becoming vulnerable by taking on the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, a heart that aches and breaks like yours and mine, to show us what it really means to love. Soon, soon we will learn that we belong to each other. And as we waited, as we waited for news about Rocco on that long, long Thursday night, my wife and I prayed a lot and cried a lot too. Rocco was stable, and they got him to the NICU at the medical center, where they would run a battery of tests to try to get to the bottom of what was happening with his breathing. It was very late when we climbed into bed and turned out the lights, and I could think of nothing, nothing but our little baby with a tube down his throat, tethered to heart and oxygen machines. I reached over to the bedside table, grabbed my laptop, and I googled. I googled his name, Rocco, and I found to my great surprise that our baby boy was named after a 14th century saint named Rocco. And I learned that Saint Rocco is the patron saint of people who are ill. And as I prayed the prayer of Saint Rocco that I found online, I thought to myself, who would ever want to name their baby Fred or Mark? Or Andy, when you can give your child the gift and heritage of Rocco, who left everything to follow Jesus, who went out to minister God's healing love and hope to the sick. Well, it turns out that our Rocco is a pretty tough guy. And good glory, good glory did he fight. He faced down every single thing they threw at him that night. And the amazing medical staff solved the mystery of his breathing. In fact, our Rocco made it home in time for Mother's Day, and he had a long way to go. He had more surgeries and procedures awaiting him, but he is now already well into a very happy and healthy childhood. He celebrated his fourth birthday took a deep breath, and proudly blew out four candles. Had a dance party with his brothers and sisters. Kid loves to dance. Praise God for that. Prayer book says, Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, 
but to love things heavenly. And even now, as we're placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure. Jesus Christ comes to us in life's darkest passages, where we are lonely and afraid and helpless, when we have no more tricks up our sleeve, when we have no ace in the hole, when we have no place left to turn. He comes looking for us in love, and we meet him. We meet him in friends and loved ones who pray with us and for us. We meet him in the amazing nurses and doctors who bring hope and healing, all that they can muster. We meet him here in this sanctuary where we share the bread and the wine of Holy Communion with others who want to follow Jesus. Soon we will learn. Soon we will learn that we belong to each other. And I say praise God for the miracle that it is to be alive. Praise God for the enduring, unfailing temple of Christ's love. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.